I'm Alex Mosette, and welcome to Winner Take All, where we talk about the constant battle to fight back and win against big tech monopolies. First topic, and we're not starting off with a monopoly. We're going to get to that. But we are starting off with a very dominant platform company, you know, could be, could have been on its way to monopoly status in the, you know, world of, uh, risque content, let's say. They've just been a rocket ship. And that company is called OnlyFans. OnlyFans, you know, had become or has become a platform connecting, um, you know, people that want to uh, put on interesting, uh, less than fully clothed shows uh, and get paid for it. And so... Kind of curious then that you see this news, which is that OnlyFans is (laughs) ready to bar, that means ban, uh, sexually explicit videos starting in October. That's kind of like their whole business. Uh, They'll still be allowed to put up nude photos and videos, but they're going to prohibit creators from posting material with sexually explicit conduct on its site. Not really sure what the difference is. I haven't been a user to be able to give you some first-party knowledge. OnlyFans is positioning itself more as a forum (laughs) for musicians, fitness instructors, and chefs than sex workers. While many of its most popular creators post videos of themselves engaging in sexual behavior, several mainstream celebrities like Bella Thorne, Cardi B, and, and Tyga have also set up accounts. So they're trying to become more mainstream. What the rumor is, right, is that OnlyFans is is looking at going public. And if they want to be a publicly traded company, then, you know, they can't have uh, sexually explicit content on the site. What this reminds me of is, uh, well, two things. You remember the football player, uh, Plexico Burris, who shot himself in the thigh with a handgun while he was playing football? Seems a lot like what OnlyFans is doing. That's one analogy. The other one is actually more platform specific, and that would be uh, Tumblr. So, but but Tumblr did this move after they were acquired by Yahoo, not before the exit event. Tumblr will ban all adult content on December 17th. This is after Yahoo bought them. And what was some of the legal concern about why Tumblr did that move? There's this law called... SESTA and FOSTA, a bill which makes platforms liable for what is said and done by their users if those things are tied to prostitution. So interesting, right? We've talked a lot about Section 230. We had the UCLA uh, First Amendment law uh, professor on the show uh, just recently talking about Section 230 and the protections it gives you. He had a very interesting uh, nuance in, in, in terms of the two different parts of Section 230. One of the uh, reasons that we think Tumblr did this was because now they were owned by Yahoo and Yahoo's legal and lawyers were concerned about uh, violating, you know, a bill like this and then, you know, having a lot more liability. And then as a result, uh, Tumblr traffic plummets <clears throat> from 520 million visits in that in that December to 436 million in January to 369 million in February. 
yikes, in just two months, they're losing about 40% of their traffic. Wow. Very difficult move to make. Very curious why OnlyFans is doing this before the exit event. Even if they want to go IPO, I mean, is it really worth it to go IPO if that's what it's going to take? So again, a lot of gray area, what is considered sexually explicit versus um, like nude. I I don't know. Um, But, you know, they're clearly trying to protect themselves against something here for probably some reason like going public, but we'll see kind of, uh, you know, the struggle of being successful with a business where you're just, I mean, you're connecting people to give you like nude live shows. So, I mean, maybe you shouldn't struggle to go public and just kind of accept the fact that that's who you are. And you know, the, the whole bridge to like musicians and fitness instructors and chefs, hmm, kind of seems like a pretty big jump. But good luck with that, OnlyFans. Okay, a uh, little bit different of a topic would be the fact that, well, what we talk a lot about on the show is that we are already in a war. That is an information war, whether amongst ourselves in the United States or with other countries like China. We've talked about you know, the 50 cent army perception and information war that China is waging on us and, you know, basically the world, particularly around COVID, but it was happening long before COVID. Just about how people perceive China. Recent news was that a Chinese paper quoted a Swiss biologist to support the COVID origin study. I think the Chinese COVID origin study was that It didn't come from China or it certainly didn't come from a Chinese lab, whatever China is trying to pump out these days. Now you have the Swiss embassy in China saying, looking for Wilson Edwards, alleged Swiss biologist cited in press and social media in China over the last several days. If you exist, we would really like to meet you, but it is more likely that this is fake news. And we call on the Chinese press to take down the posts. So basically, they just made this guy up. They pumped it, pumped it, pumped it, pumped it. Now you've gotten the message out, right? So it's, it's much more difficult to kind of correct the information than uh, you know, to kind of spread that salacious story um, and that misinformation and that fake news. So good on the Swiss to call out China for this and, and kind of run this uh, fake, fake biologist down. Um, but this kind of stuff is happening all the time. And the Chinese are experts at this. They have mobilized millions of people. They have mobilized their investments around this. They have, over the past number of months now, really clamped down on their Chinese tech monopolies. Uh, there's a story recently that, you know, China or one of the Chinese agencies invested effectively has a 1% ownership in ByteDance and has a board seat, right? Um, And got a very favorable valuation on the ByteDance valuation, which owns TikTok, by the way. ByteDance has been saying for years that the Chinese government doesn't have influence. We've um, quoted the former TikTok 
CEO, the, the Chinese CEO before the Disney guy, you know, long ago saying that if the Chinese government asked him for information about their users, he would tell President Xi no, which is laughable. But we've had, you know, a myriad of reports out of ByteDance and TikTok that they, you know, put user information first and all this stuff. And now it's come out that China got a very favorable price to buy 1% of ByteDance, private company still, and now has governance rights and is on the board, right? So China, the CCP, a communist dictatorship, totalitarian, authoritarian government, bad news bears, has absolutely tightened its grip on its Chinese tech monopolies to exert control over their people and China's image and influence abroad. And they've also done this with US-based tech companies like Reddit, where Reddit has received money from Chinese tech companies and Chinese investors. And what we suspect is that when you're taking this Chinese money, what you're doing is you're giving special information rights to, to China, whether that's through the China tech monopoly, which then funnels back to the CCP, or whether it's to, for example, the 50 cent party directly, right? You got millions of people in China that are monitoring all these posts on social media. So very hard to manage that unless you can get like uh, better information analytics dashboards, right? How could you kind of get uh, um, special API integration to tap into all the posts, right, that are coming in through Reddit, for example, mining of the information in those posts to flag them and say, hey, you know, 50 Cent Army, go comment on this post, right? Very hard to do that at scale. When you make these investments, I guarantee you they're coming with extra hooks, extra visibility, extra data rights, data privileges. Doesn't necessarily mean that Reddit is saying we are going, we Reddit are going to monitor and take down posts on behalf of China. Maybe that's happening also, but that would be a, a an even further step. But at the very least, if I'm going to write you a check for a few hundred million dollars, I want an API to get access to your data so I can have my army really well plugged into all the posts on your platform. So then they can go do their commenting and, and, and downvoting and all the stuff that they do. This is a great example. Hat off to Switzerland to, um, you know, just another example of how aggressive and um, the ingenuity that the Chinese are employing and deploying in this information war that we can all see, not even talking about the hacking and all the kind of black hat stuff that they're doing. This is just in everyone's face and you can openly know about it and talk about it. The whole underbelly to this beast, uh, which I'm not even touching on. So uh, good on Switzerland. And that was the Swiss embassy in Beijing, which is even better. So this one's a little weird. Amazon's opening retail stores, not just like retail stores, but more like department stores, says the Wall Street Journal. They want a larger retail presence to sell clothing and household items and facilitate exchanges. So that's that's a code word for what we call reverse logistics, right? So there's some crazy stat. It's like, a third or a fourth of all the stuff that people buy online, which is a lot of stuff, gets returned. That's what we call reverse logistics. I bought something, now I got to send it back. And you're already seeing Amazon do this very um, strategically where you know they can effectively drive traffic. When you want to return your package, they'll say, hey, well, it's free to go drop off the package at an Amazon store 
you know, or at this UPS location or at Kohl's, they're doing this, right? So they can drive traffic to retail stores or they can say, well, if you want to go to this place, well, you're going to have to pay us like three bucks, right? Um, Walmart's doing this also. Hey, you want to return something from Walmart? Just drop it off in the store. It's free. Don't worry about it. But now what, what have you done? You've driven foot traffic to your store. So that's a huge foot traffic demand channel. When you think about just the size and scale of returns, it's not always free to have the UPS or FedEx person pick it up at your door, right? To return it. You usually got to go drop this stuff off somewhere. That is one bit of this, which I think is in the plus column for Amazon saying, hey, we could actually drive a lot of traffic to our stores and favor our stores versus um, others. So that's one, I think, positive for Amazon to do this. The negatives are that now they're going to run into what, what this article doesn't speak to is, and this is very early, you know, I think this is still very early in the planning stages for Amazon, but, you know, Amazon, what I've really loved about Amazon when it comes to retail is Amazon Go. I really like the Amazon Go model, which is the checkout list, right? Where you're, you're changing the business model of retail because now you've got all the cameras. Um, they're just watching you take whatever you want off the shelf. You don't need to check out. There's no cashier. Just the cameras. They know who you are because you, you know, you sign, you scan your app when you go into the store. The cameras track what you pick up. And so when it comes to grocery, for example, grocery has like 3% lossage. Uh, so when you're buying stuff in the grocery store, you take some milk off the shelf, you take a yogurt off the shelf, you take right something off the shelf, you don't put it back. You didn't end up buying it, you don't put it back where you found it. Now they got to, now someone needs to go take that thing and put it back to where you got it. That's a cost. Or you took some yogurt, you put it somewhere, it goes bad. You got to throw that out. So 3% lossage. Now, obviously just, you know, people didn't buy all the corn that you bought or the raspberries and then those go bad. That's also lossage. But 3% lossage on such an ultra low margin business, that's a lot of money, right? So if you can do things to A, reduce your lossage which if the cameras are tracking you and you've got to put the thing back where you got it from, that's going to help make sure that the store is staying more organized and, and goods aren't going bad that you take off the shelf. A. B, um, there's a lot of retail space used for the checkout aisles, right? So when you think about your unit economics on each store, if you got 10% of the square footage on checkout, now you can use that space for actual inventory and product. Now you can really start to make what might seem like small, but in the, in the margins of grocery are very big impacts on the business model of, of running a grocery store. So that kind of stuff I really like. We've covered uh, tech startups that are rolling out similar kind of technology and trialing that with, um, with different retailers. That seems like a very different approach to retail, okay? This doesn't talk about department stores with the go technology, the checkout list technology. Maybe it's just because Wall Street Journal didn't have that information. They just want to publish this and, and, you know, it doesn't really have much meat. And really just the story is Amazon's going to open department stores. But there's got to be some angle on this outside of just, yeah, we can channel the large volume of people doing reverse logistics and returns back to our stores, right? Otherwise, you know, I think you fall into a trap where that 
consumer behavior shift that you were making gets diluted. It's like a short-term gain for a long-term loss. Amazon's already the top clothing retailer in the United States, beating Walmart and of course Macy's and Target and others, right? So they're already doing pretty well selling clothing online. Do you really need to go open department stores to sell some more clothing? Um, what else did Wall Street Journal say? Say they wanted to sell uh, household items, like the micro fulfillment, for example, having small stores in close proximity, getting deliveries to you fast in an hour, really automated, right? Like that's cool. That's new. Those are new business models. That would make sense for what Amazon's investing in. And I hope I'm missing a bit, all right? Or I hope I hope the Wall Street Journal doesn't have the full story on this, right? Because right now this story doesn't really fully check out. Last point I'll make is it kind of remi- if 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 this is the story, if this is really what Amazon's doing, then it reminds me of what Snapchat did many years ago. And this was the pivotal point, in my opinion, for Snapchat to really be like the next Instagram or Facebook versus kind of like just muddying along, which is what Snapchat, I mean, they've, they've been going up in the past couple of years, but when Snapchat removed the requirement for you to have to use the camera, right? The Snapchat camera to post a snap. That was such a big product blunder because what they were doing, the Snapchat camera sucked. It was grainy. The resolution was crap. You couldn't get to it as easily as you could the iPhone camera. But I was doing it. People were doing it. People were changing their user behavior to say, I would rather have a worse quality photo, a more arduous experience, a longer time to get into the Snapchat camera solely because I know that if I take it in the Snapchat camera, I can now send that image or video within Snapchat. But if I don't do that, then I can't, I can't get access to the network, right? Such a powerful product kind of network effect platform integration. And, and, and it was a, it was a hard dependency. And so when they got rid of that, because they were struggling in the short term and they said, oh, well, now you can upload photos from your camera roll. Oof, blunder. I called it years ago uh, when it first came out. And it's still to this day, if you actually got Evan up here, I guarantee you he would agree it was a blunder also. That decision diluted the behavior change to make Snapchat the default camera app. And now just made it a, a just another social network. Because now you could take a photo anywhere. You could take a photo from Instagram and just share it on Snapchat. Maybe not on the same level because Amazon's already a massive tech monopoly. But this seems like a very short-sighted product decision if uh, the Wall Street Journal actually has, you know, the full story here. If not, then I take that back. Okay. Last topic. You know, we covered how the FTC correctly has attributed Facebook to be a monopoly on that note. And we covered how in one of the, one of the FTC's recent lawsuits, uh, the federal judge dismissed that lawsuit saying that Facebook was not a monopoly. Now, what I didn't like about the FTC lawsuit was that, you know, they're going after this whole thing to try and get 
Facebook to spin off Instagram and WhatsApp. It's just not realistic. But hey, throw that Hail Mary. 99.9% chance you're not catching it because when they bought Instagram, they really, really, really did not have the monopoly status that they have today. But anyway. Now, here is where an example, again, where the media just gets it wrong on understanding the nuance of platform businesses. You know, I like the FTC's response. So let's look at this. On Thursday, the agency filed a revised lawsuit against Facebook that aimed to overcome the chief concern the U.S. district judge had with the first one that it didn't provide enough evidence that Facebook held a monopoly over social media. This time, the FTC lawyers used data from Comscore to argue that since 2012, Facebook has controlled about 80% of the social market based on the time people spent on its apps and that it controlled 65% of that market in terms of monthly active users, right? So tracking time in the app as well as active users, 80% versus 65%. In doing so, the FTC said Facebook didn't compete with viral video app TikTok, which Facebook and everyone else says a key competitor to Facebook. Of course, Facebook is going to say TikTok is a competitor. How did the FTC justify its minority view? It's not a minority view. TikTok, which has more than 100 million monthly active users in the US, doesn't let people connect and personally engage with friends and family, says the FTC, uh, the way Facebook does. The Facebook FTC made the same argument why it excluded Twitter from the list of Facebook competitors. The interesting thing is, I actually agree with the FTC, and here's why. In the book, we define eight different types of platform businesses. We actually clearly delineate between communication platforms, like a WhatsApp, um, <clears throat> and content platforms, which we have Twitter in. And we would also have TikTok in, actually, and versus social networks, which is where a LinkedIn would be. That's where, you know, a MySpace would have been. And that's where Facebook is. Instagram would also be in the content platform bucket. Now, why is this? The key is double opt-in versus, versus single opt-in. What I mean by that, this is what the FTC is actually getting at. Maybe they should go read the book. So single opt-in versus double opt-in. Single opt-in says you have a follower model, right? So when you think about the network effect, when you think about the engagement model, when you think about the core transaction, it's a very different business model. Single opt-in is that I'm going to follow you. And now I follow you on Instagram, on Twitter, on TikTok. We have two overarching buckets of platform, right? We have exchange platform and maker platform. Social networks are and communication platforms are in the exchange platform bucket. Content platforms and developer platforms are in the maker platform bucket. What is the main difference between exchange and maker platforms, might you ask? Great question. One is more of a one-to-one -one type of interaction model, more of a one-to-finite number of interactions exchange, and one is one-to-many, okay? YouTube, think about TikTok, think about Instagram. That one-to-many interaction model means I put up a, a photo, a video, an app on the App Store. I want as many people as possible to engage and download and interact with that piece, that singular, that singular, that same piece of content, right? 
one to many. And to do that, you're going to have a single opt-in model. I want to get as many followers as possible. I want to get as many downloads as possible. But it's the same piece of content being consumed as many times as possible, one to many. Very different than a communication app like WhatsApp, right? What you, that information, that piece of content that you as the producer create is going to be unique and specific to a finite number of people that you're sending it to, right? If you're sending a message to one person, that content is much more specific. It's not meant to be consumed by millions of people. It's not meant to be repurposed in a one-to-many type of model. Same thing with a social network. And social networks, when we dig into it in the book, have a double opt-in model. This is the friending model, right? On LinkedIn, I friend you. Do you accept? Okay, now you accept, and now we are friends. And now we can message, and now we can interact. And now, and now, 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 right? You can see you know, much more information. You can see my posts. You can see all these things. Same thing on Facebook, double opt-in model. I'm going to friend you and now we sh- now you can see all my photos, right? And if you and and if we're not friends, then you don't get to see um I mean in the old days you didn't get to see anything. Now 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 the double opt-in social networks, you know, try to support hybrid, you know, you could have some single opt-in, some some follow model, but but their primary core transaction. Now these platform businesses have multiple types of core transactions, but but the primary core transaction is a double opt-in model for social networks. So yes, when you actually look at the business model of Facebook or LinkedIn versus a Twitter, an Instagram, um, a TikTok, a YouTube, they are marketably and very materially different. So I don't think the FTC went into that level of detail. Maybe they should. But I would actually agree with their approach here. Got to understand the nuance here. It's like saying it's like saying, you know, Macy's and Walmart compete. Yeah, they do cuz they both are retail stores, buddy. But they're very different businesses. It's where you have to understand that there are the primary business model, the primary core transaction, and then there are the secondary. These guys are making a lawsuit going back to 2012. You rewind the clock. This stuff actually was not even available on Facebook back. Now it's 2021. Sure. Um, they're doing uh, service marketplaces with Facebook Marketplace, right? Like they're doing everything under the sun on Facebook. But when you really understand what's the main driver, the main interaction, the main core transaction, the main business model of Facebook, it's very different than Instagram and therefore TikTok and WhatsApp. These are all different types of platform businesses. And on that note, thank you very much for joining us.